This is a Hot Pie Original. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the DMP CD Sports Podcast presented by Odd Shark. I am Chad Fisher alongside my co-host, Tony Farmer. Tony, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing awesome today, Chad. How are you doing? Dude, I'm great, man. I'm super excited because we got an awesome interview lined up. Uh, We've got Jesse Sapolu, four-time Super Bowl champion. He played on some of the best teams in NFL history. He played on a lot of teams that you and I grew up watching. Yeah. Uh, I loved watching those 49er teams back in the day. Those are some of my earliest football memories, some of my uh, earliest NFL memories especially. And um, can't wait to pick his brain and talk to him about some of those teams and get some, hopefully some behind-the-scenes information. Yeah, man. I mean, if you grew up watching football like we did in the 80s and 90s, you know who Jesse Sapolo is. The guy is a legend, and yeah. it's going to be a, a fun fun day today. Yeah, for sure. But uh, before we get to that, we want to tell all the people about Odd Shark, Tony. That's right. Odd Shark is your source for the latest odds from leading authorities, expert editorial content, the hottest sports news, and detailed matchup picks. Looking for statistics and trends for an upcoming game? Odd Shark has you covered, and it is free. In-depth expert analysis, odds, and trends to help you make the sharp game day picks. They've got decades of stats in their database, and their insiders give you takes so hot they sizzle. Mm -hmm. They're your one-stop shop for all your odds info on sports and pop culture events. Yeah, so whether you want to get a better understanding of the odds and the math behind the numbers, how the line is set, why the lines move during the week on the NFL odds list, Odd Shark will give you all the tools you need. And like we said, it's absolutely free. Uh, they are a proven industry powerhouse. Oddshark has info from around the globe, giving you the chance to access the best sports odds on the planet. Whether you want to check out tonight's football odds, this week's hockey or baseball, uh, basketball trends, or anything in between, head on over to Oddshark and start thinking like a shark today. Uh, Go to resource for us. If you're going to be betting, you definitely got to check out Oddshark. And so speaking of that, we're going to get into our betting segment of the show today. That's right, man. The NFL draft just wrapped up, so lots of prop betting was going on. I'm looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, as well, brother. Same here. And our betting segment is presented by Odds Shark. Yeah, Funny. Chad. Thursday was crazy with all the odds changing throughout the day, and Odd Shark did a great de- job of updating the odds on that number three pick. So coming into the day... People were believing the hype about Mac Jones being the 49ers pick. He was the favorite. Yeah. It was like minus 150. I saw minus 180 at one point. Oh, wow. And then as the mock draft started coming out, remember Benjamin Albright from episode two? Yeah. yeah. He talked about how, um, you, you know, he wasn't sure. Some people were saying it could be Mac Jones, but a lot of people were saying it wasn't Mac Jones. You made a little money off of that, didn't you? Yeah. Oh, and it was on our Twitter <laughs> yeah, at yeah, DMP CD Sports. Yeah, that was on our Twitter. Yeah. We said Trey Lance plus. 250. And the reason I did that is because Benjamin Albright's mock draft had Trey Lance at three. So, and a couple other people that I trust as well had him at three. So I hit that. And then as soon as I hit that, you saw the odds start to shift. And then Trey Lance actually was the betting favorite by the time the draft started. Oh, wow. And so it was kind of fun to watch that. And then, of course, after Lance went, the big question was, where does Mac Jones go? Where does Justin Fields go? And to see Fields go to Chicago, what do you think about that match? I couldn't believe there? it, man. I couldn't believe that he slid so far, man, because uh, I'm a Michigan fan, and I watched that dude you know, kick our ass and kick the rest of the Big Ten's ass. And I, I thought it, maybe I'm wrong, but I think he's going to be like a really good quarterback. He's kind of a dick. He, you know, when you watch him, like my girl doesn't even Spoken like him. Spoken like a true Michigan dude, yeah, man. No, he's totally, <laughs> dude, he fits Ohio State perfectly. He's just like a, a jackass, you know what I'm saying? But, uh, uh, that was super surprising. I'm sure Pam's happy from uh, Odd Shark. Yes. Got, they got a quarterback there, which is awesome. She follows the Bears pretty closely. But, uh, I think he's going to be a good quarterback. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be fun. And then Mac Jones, who we've talked a lot about Jones. on this show. Big Mac Jones. Goes to the Patriots. I mean, 
I actually don't know what the odds were on Mac Jones to go to the Patriots because he was so heavily favored to go to the 49ers. I don't know that you could have got odds. I'm not sure off the top of my head. But let's just talk about that marriage of Bill Belichick and Mac Jones. Seems like a perfect fit, you know? It's going to be interesting. Bill Belichick will only draft you if you are like 40 pounds overweight and just look... You know, sloppy, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like it's like a, probably a perfect fit for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. It seems like he's a very cerebral guy. You know, Benjamin Albright came on our show and told us about how great his memory is as a quarterback and everything and how he's able to remember plays from months, months ago. And so that's going to be a perfect setup, it seems like. You know, it definitely is. Bill got his guy. It's going to be interesting to see now. You know what I'm saying? Because Tom Brady is a once-in-a-lifetime player. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how he develops. Obviously, you can't judge him after the first year or so or whatever. But uh, And I'm sure uh, he'll sit for as long as they can sit him, you know? Yeah. I'm not sure that Cam Newton is going to be a great stopgap there. But uh, uh, he got his guy, man. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, to see now uh, how he matures and how he compares. He's not never going to be Tom Brady, but, you know. It'll be interesting to see how how they bring him along. Yeah, you say he's never going to be Tom Brady, and and I agree. But those comparisons, like it or not, they're going to be there. Which yeah, is pretty intriguing. Another interesting thing about the draft was, you know, the number of offensive players that went in the top ten. I saw some props um, about how many offensive players are going to go in the first round. Yep. Um, how about J.C. Horn going in the top ten? Uh, your first defensive player taken. Um, I, I know there were some props out there that wow. there's going to be no defensive players in the, in the top ten, and actually Benjamin Albright when he was on the show that was one of his maybe surprises yeah don't be surprised if close. it's all all offensive players he yeah. was real close but super close yeah but horn going eighth uh that was interesting it really was and um i think a lot of teams feel some needs this is why the draft is so exciting and just on the draft in general it was one of the most uh exciting drafts i've seen in a long time i asked odd shark on uh twitter actually from our account from uh the mpcd sports uh, I said, what are the odds someone passes out on stage? Because there was like four <laughs> people in a row that were just going up there breathing heavy so as hell. you can see I'm their like, masks yeah, just like, ah, out. <laughs> <laughs> Fans get I'm a little like, excited. I can see them passing out like any moment. They said it was uh, my, uh, plus 160. Yeah, plus 160. That was hilarious. I said, dude, we should uh, put us down for that. Yeah, I'll chart this shit, man. They're awesome. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that sure. was hilarious. And, uh, speaking of this, so now the odds have changed a little bit, you know, or they might change a little bit. And you also, you're probably going to have have a little bit more confidence as a better now because you see how some of these teams are, are taking shape. Uh, you see the Patriots got their quarterback. You know, uh, Chicago got a viable quarterback, in my opinion. Uh, lines are going to change a little bit. And you might feel a little bit more confident putting some money down on Chicago or uh, New England, you know, um, to at least, you know, maybe win eight or nine games each team, you know what I'm saying, something like that. Even Make the playoffs. Who knows? Uh, make sure you go to Odd Shark and check that out because these uh, this is a great time to put some money down. Yeah, man, and, and especially I would say if you're one of those teams that had multiple first round picks yep. and you like those picks and they address needs, the Jets, then yep. yeah, go and check out those odds. Oh, the Jets would be an interesting one, man. It nice would long shot. It really would long shot. Yeah, but every once in a while these rookie quarterbacks come out and they change the friggin' league and nobody sees it coming. I mean, Cam Newton took the league by storm when he came out as rookie. Mm-hmm year and so why not why not throw some pizza money at something like zach wilson leading the jets um not a bad idea and also with aaron Rodgers possibly changing teams you know what i mean could he go the 49ers could he go the broncos maybe you want to put some pizza money down as you say on the bron if you're a broncos fan or even if you're not if you think that that might be a very likely destination check out what kind of assets they have to uh get that deal done 
And um, because you could probably get the, you know, you can get the uh, Broncos probably pretty cheap right now. I'm looking at the odds right now on Odd Shark. It's uh, 66. It's uh, anywhere from 66 down to uh, 20. So, so do you yeah. see how, how how widely how big of a variation there are between sites, and so yeah. that's why it's important to go to Odd Shark because if you go to one site here and you get a twenty to one, yeah, you know, what I'm saying there's a way better number out there. You got to make sure you're getting the best deal, yeah, and that's why it's a, an incredible resource. But uh, yeah, maybe you want to put some money down on on because if they get Aaron Rodgers with that defense, she, yeah, that's bad. gonna be a, that's gonna be a formidable team. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I would say that they shoot right up into the top two or three in the AFC, and so yeah. hey. Might want to put some money down on them. At least they'll win their, win their division, you know? Yeah. And remember, if you're out there and you're saying, there's no chance the Jets or Broncos win the Super Bowl, I'm just throwing my money away. Remember, with these future odds, you can hedge if that yep. team makes the playoff and you can still make money off that bet. The yep. bet doesn't have to cash for you to make money. Yep, exactly. For sure. And that's why you want to go to Odd Shark because they've got, like I said, I'm looking at the, the numbers vary so much between sites. Yeah. And even if you, if you just become loyal to one site, uh, you're going to, you could, potentially miss out on hundreds if not thousands of dollars as you can see right here at the lines so for make sure. sure you go going all the way to odd shark check out all that information this has been the betting segment for the dmpcd sports podcast presented by odd shark looking forward to our conversation with jesse sapolu let's bring him in our guest today is a four-time super bowl champion with the san francisco 49ers he's played with joe montana jerry rice steve young Deion sanders ronnie lott the list goes on and on He's a two-time pro bowler and the author of I Gave My Heart to San Francisco, which is a great book. Me and Tony both read this prior to this interview. Uh, while playing 14 seasons, uh, while playing he uh, 14 seasons and 23 playoff games with the 49ers, he won the Ed Block Courage Award. He's also a two-time winner of the Bob McKittrick Award, Gary Niver Award. Please welcome to the DMP CD Sports Podcast, Jesse Sapolu. How you doing, Jesse? Thanks for coming on the show, buddy. We really appreciate it. Thank you, uh, Tony and Chad, for having me on. Yeah, Appreciate definitely. It. We got so much stuff we want to get to because uh, Tony and I read your book and we thought it was fascinating. It was just uh, such a great read to get some great insight into those amazing teams that you played on. And uh, so much information in there. We really enjoyed that. Um, the one question we kind of want to uh, start it off with here is that in the book, uh, they talk about this a little. You talk about this a little bit. Uh, you, you played four years in high school, four years in college, and then 15 in the NFL. Then you retired, obviously. Uh, in your book, your wife, Lisa, says that it was a difficult adjustment for you and that being around her so much was an adjustment for both of you. Um, what was that like going from hearing 75,000 screaming fans to just one person screaming at you to take out the trash? You know. <laughs> and, and also, I want to know which is harder to block out, a tough playoff road crowd or your wife screaming about gutters? I just wanna... <laughs> That's one of the best questions I've ever been asked. <laughs> there you go. What's up? You know, yeah. the, thing, the thing about the 75,000 people is you don't have to listen to yeah, ah, yeah. Good oh point. there you go good that's point. A, you gotta listen <laughs> to my wife <laughs> Touché. Yeah. Uh, i'm sure my wife will tell you that i don't listen to her half the time but, uh, <laughs> join the club know, uh, her, her voice it was an adjustment it was yeah. an adjustment because you know when you retire from the nfl people think that's the only career you had mm -hmm. they don't know that was the first job you had i mean uh, mm -hmm. so that's all i played football since i was what nine ten years old mm -hmm. And yeah, I got paid later, but to me, it's the same thing. You know, you're mm. out there committing yourself, giving your best physically day in and day out. And you hear coaches saying, you know, you got you to gotta push, you know, you got to turn it up. You know, you got to push beyond what you're humanly, you know, feel you can do to win. 
and then all of a sudden they tell you to turn, turn the engines off. Mm. That's a very, very difficult uh, uh, adjustment because, you know, every July, every July you start dreading going to training camp. Mm-hmm. You know, you hate it while you were playing. Mm-hmm. Then you start missing it uh, um, when, when you know, it's, it's something that your body's used to. Mm. You know, once it comes May, June, you start thinking, I'm going to have to put my body through the ringer again. Yeah. You know? But it's something that was hard. It was difficult. But in your mind, that's who you are. And if mm. you played as long as I had, um, it was very, very difficult for me. But uh, you, you got to find other ways of uh, replacing that, uh, like playing golf, even though it's not the same. But, uh, but that's what I did in the first couple of years. Mm-hmm. And what are you up to now? I was checking out SapoluMenInTheTrenches.com. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yeah, about 12 years ago, I started uh, uh, Lyman Only uh, Academy. You know, we have these specialized quarterback trainings. You know, they have elite 11s. They have all this. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's a great thing to do because of the technique and, mm. and the feel and the reads that the quarterbacks have to do. What people don't take into account, the linemen are pretty much the same thing. You know, mm. if you step wrong, if your balance is wrong, if your arm placement is wrong, uh, you're not going to be a good player. So my thinking was, if the man in the front don't protect the quarterback, the quarterback ain't no good. So why can't we coach them and not wait for them to just get to their coaching high school? And what we found out is that the kids that we spend time with, like 10 to 12, 14 weeks during the offseason, they go to their coaches in high school, and the coaches in high school are way ahead of the game because they don't have to worry about the little fundamental things that's already been taken care of mm. at men in the trenches. So it's taken off. You know, some people start seeing the idea and, and, and stop doing the same thing, which to me, anytime uh, anybody has time to help the kids is a, is a great thing. So that's what men in the trenches is, is all about. What, what are some of the uh, things that you look for in, in these offensive linemen? Is it, I know it varies by position, but are you looking for bend? Are you looking for agility? Are you looking for just sheer strength? What What is it exactly that you value in an offensive lineman? Well, if if you're looking at general things, uh, it's just balance. Okay, you know, because mm. you you know, I tell the kids, you know, you you can cut my arms off and I can still play the game. Not very good, <laughs> but I can still play the game. Mm-hmm. But if you cut your legs from under your knees, you're hopeless. Mm. So. That's how important balance is. It's a violent game, but you still got to find a way to play violent and keep your balance. Because if you maintain those blocks, if you maintain your balance and get to the quarterback, you know, those are what separates uh, the great players um, from the average players. Now, mm. uh, you know, and, and men in the trenches, it all varies, you know, because one thing I can't coach is size, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. That's something that God gave these kids. Uh, at the same time, I have to coach kids that are never going to go to college because they're not big enough. But you teach them uh, the value of competing, overcoming adversity, mm. because they can apply those traits into their life Good point. after football. Mm-hmm. You guys know that. Yep. I mean, you still remember the few years you played in high school yep. and, and that bond that you have with those kids. Even 30 years from now, you're still going to talk about that yep. when you see a teammate. Yeah, that's exactly so right. Those are, the, those are the, the, the traits that can help kids, even if they become a banker, become a doctor, you can still apply overcoming adversity, mm-hmm. being challenged. Uh, and, and then we have kids that are good enough to go to college. And then we've had a few kids uh, go on to the NFL. So 
it's a it's a, it's a it's a variety of of levels that we have to to coach. But to me, it's just as important at every level. Yeah, the kid that I know has NFL potential is more is just as important to me as a kid that I know will never play in college, but will be a great student and will be a successful uh, human being one day. Yeah, it's really interesting what you said about overcoming adversity. Um, I worked with college students for nine years, and that's something that all professionals in higher education are talking about right now. What's going on? Why are these students struggling? Talking 18 to 22-year-olds, why are they struggling so much when bad things happen, whether it's failing a test or a breakup with a boyfriend or girlfriend? It's really hard for them to be resilient and bounce back. So the fact that you're able to deal with that on a a field Mm. and help teach those life lessons while doing something you're passionate about and making them better football players is pretty awesome, man. That's great. Well, you know, honestly, I, I think the kids aren't as tough yeah. as, uh-huh. as, as when we were growing up. It, it, even when you guys, are, yeah. they don't, you know, for me to study for a test, whether I'm tired from a practice or not, I have to walk to your library to find this information. Yeah. You know, now that information is with a press of a button. On your phone. You know, <laughs> on your phone. Yeah. And they get While you're in bed still. Yeah. <laughs> in your pajamas. So... You know, I mean, kids today see other people's opinions and some people are just complaining. Some people are just ranting, right? Uh, instead of, of protecting these kids from all of those influences and coach them to, hey, life is, is not easy. Mm. You know, life, and, and when, you, when you experience uh, an obstacle is when you need to be at your strong, mm. at your strongest. So we can't control that anymore, you know? Uh, you know, I also am the founder and, and the chairman of the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame, which mm. honors the greats from the past. And then my generation, and we got people like the Tua Tango-Vailoas who just got drafted at quarterback, Marcus Mariota. DeForest Buckner, uh, right? DeForest Buckner. Uh, we have a kid that's an offensive lineman that's supposed to be going pretty high, Benet Sewell from uh, yep. Oregon, uh, yeah. University of Oregon. So uh, we... we our culture, our foundation culture is very important to us. Humility and respect is very important to us. But with social media, you know, we're very, really afraid that that influence will start sneaking into our kids' mm. psyche and mindset uh, of identifying who they are. You know, because mm. sometimes, even when I was making the kind of money I made, compared to, compared to today, there's guys yeah. sitting on a bench making, making the same kind of money as yeah. a pro bowler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, when you have that much money, you, you know, you're human. The thought process sneaks into your head that I don't need people. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I got all the money I need to take care of my family. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and they tend to shut down advice, wisdom. But those are the kind of things that can really end your career pretty fast. Yeah, you know, definitely. Uh, with the 49ers, we, we've had some great athletes uh, ruin, left millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars on the table because of how they handle themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't aware that your culture was skeptical of, of social media. It's, it's something that Chad and I have talked about, the influence of social media and how it's negatively impacting, particularly the, the youth in our society, for yeah. sure. It's, it's a big concern. There's a couple documentaries on Netflix about it and, and things like that. Um, have you heard at all about how, like the psychological impact of how the social media is, is like a slot machine for a gambling addict and, and they're using the colors to keep you online longer and some of those things as well? It's fascinating. Yeah, it is. And, and, uh, you know, sometimes you, you, you envy that we, we wish we had this capability back in the day. Like 
like during the, the 49er dynasty. Oh, right? imagine that. <laughs> how, how popular would I, our dynasty have been? Yep. Right. If, you know, the, the 49er fans would have been on social media, <laughs> you know, the, the years we dominated the league. Yeah. But at the same time, what's the downside to it? Mm. You know, the downside to it is all the negative influences that are around. Uh, because, you know, back in the day, only the only the uh, professional athletes, the actors, uh, the politicians, they had the show. They they had the media forum, you know. And we had ABC, CBS, mm-hmm. you yep. know, NBC. Mm-hmm. We had each town had their two newspapers. That was it, mm-hmm. right? So not everybody had a chance to share their opinion out in the open. Now, you know, with Twitter and with Facebook. Everybody has their own TV channel, man. And if you pay yep. attention to yep, it, that's true. yeah, you know, that's very true. Yeah, you, you get you get frustrated, but that's that we that means it doesn't mean we can't stop. You know, we we stop trying to protect our kids. Yeah. At, at least we're gonna we're gonna try with our farmers and community. That's awesome. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Speaking of Twitter, uh, and also you were just referencing a little bit about uh, uh, soft. Uh, how some of these players are soft, or you, you perceive them as soft on. Uh, in November of this year, uh, you tweeted that uh, a specific, uh, you said that roughing the passer call against the 49ers is embarrassing. This type of football, I no longer recognize. Um, you also wanted to say one of the perks of retirement, or, or I'm sorry, uh, but you said this, uh, this is a type of football that you no longer recognize. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and just like how the game has changed a lot in that in that regard since you you were uh, playing and everything? Because it is definitely, the, everything is geared yeah. towards the quarterback There's now. a lot of rules you to protect the You can't really touch, yeah. touch the quarterback really at all, to really anymore, yeah. you know? It's, it's uh, I'm speaking uh, strictly from the rules that I played up. Mm-hmm. I've, I've come to accept some of the rules that they they uh, implement, right? Like uh, the DBs cannot be physical on the line of scrimmage. You know, the guys can pretty much, you know, right after five yards, they're pretty much <laughs> free to go yep. run their patterns. You're not worried coming down the middle to catch a slant pass because Ronnie Lott cannot do what, he, what Ronnie Lott used to do, mm. you know, and that's take your head off. Mm. And it was legal back then, mm. you know, so... And the NFL wanted more offense, you know. Yeah. Uh, they were talking about it even when I was playing, and, and now they, they finally implemented it. The one that I tweeted about, you know, Drew Brees, and I had the utmost respect for, for Drew, it was a legal hit. Mm-hmm. The kid mm-hmm. uh, fell on the side, which is another rule I don't agree with. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It's on your way down, you're supposed to find a way to turn your body mm-hmm. and not fall on the quarterback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is and this is going full speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, even though I don't agree with that rule, um, you know, that's what we have to live with. But the, the call that they made in a crucial time of the game was a kid made an effort to fall. But because Drew got hurt on that play, they threw the flag. Yeah. I think it was Contavious Street, if I remember correctly, I think was the defensive lineman, if I'm remembering yes. correctly. And ironically, yes. 49er fans know this. There was another controversial call on Drew Brees. How many years ago was that, Jesse? Oh, gosh, maybe about uh, so, Ahmad Brooks, uh, about seven or eight, nine years ago. Yep. And the thing about Ahmad Brooks is he tackled him on this side of his shoulder. Yeah. And on Breeze's way down, his arm slipped up here. Yep. This is going full speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he hit him here, and the arm slipped here because Drew was, uh, Drew was going down to the ground, and they made the call. Yeah. You know, so, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, 
you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, when people ask me all the time, because obviously I was Joe Center, right? Mm-hmm. Who's greater, Joe Montana? Or, or, um, well, we played under different rules. We played under different generation. Mm. And, you know, Tom's a 49er fan growing up. Yeah, for a long time, for a long time, I said, because of the quality of competition and the fact that, you know, some of Tom Brady's Super Bowls, like the interception against Seattle, right? He wasn't in the game when they won that game, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a couple of those field goals by uh, Adam Vinatieri yeah. to win the game. Yep. Joe's Super Bowls was either dominating against Elway and Marino, those type quarterbacks, or we drove the ball 96 yards with two minutes and 45 seconds to win it. Mm-hmm. So that's where greatness comes from me. Yeah. But after this past year, you know, I got to give Tom his due, mm-hmm. you know, as, as the greatest of all time. Oh, wow. It's not something, it's, it's, it's not something that Joe didn't do. Mm-hmm. We dominated our generation, mm-hmm. but I think Tom Brady has dominated his generation more. Yeah, absolutely. It's the reason I'm giving it that's, to him. That's Again, wild. For him to go from one one culture that's been dominating this era, yeah. Yeah. go to another team and make those players better and believe in themselves, you got to give it to the guy. Yeah, yeah. Jesse, this is, this is why. Go ahead. Nobody talks about Tom Brady throwing the prettiest ball, right? Yeah. They always mm-hmm. talk about the guy from Green yep. Bay throwing the prettiest ball. Yep. They always talk about Deshaun Watson being an athlete, uh, a freakish athlete. They all, you know, but nobody judges a guy that can sit in a pocket that can run, mm. sit in a pocket, throw an accurate ball, and lead other people to become champions. And that's and that's here. And that's what made, uh, I decided, you know, uh, for me, i rather judge generations in, in, in different ways because the rules are different. Totally agree. Uh, we, we play different competition. Uh, but if you're going to put it together, I got to give it to Tom. Wow. wow. Jesse, this is why I respect and appreciate you so much, man, because reading your book, one, you're not afraid to honestly answer tough questions. You are you put your opinion out there. Uh, for instance, you you say in the book that uh, John Taylor was actually way more athletic than Jerry yeah, Rice. You're not was, you weren't afraid to answer the Joe Montana versus Steve Young question. Um, and I think in this day and age, and we've talked about this a lot too, Chad. It's like, if you say anything bad about Joe Biden, you must love Donald Trump. Yeah. If you say anything bad about Donald Trump, you must love Joe Biden. And people can't be unbiased. And here you are, Mr. 49er, 49er legend. And I think 99 people out of 100, because of this polarized world we yeah, live yeah, in, yeah. would assume that you'd say, no doubt, Joe, Joe Montana, Montana over yeah. Tom Brady. But you're honest, you tell it like it is, you give your opinion and you don't get caught up in that bias BS that so much of our culture tends to, tends to do today. Yeah, so yeah. I really appreciate your honesty, man. No problem. I mean, uh, we all, we all work hard at playing, playing this game. And, uh, the, the biggest sin that I can do is, is, is be, be completely biased and keep, keep the greatness away from a, a human, another human mm, being. Well um, said. I love Joe. I love Joe. Uh, nobody will ever, to me, he's still the greatest, to me. Yep. But when you look at the overall of things, if you're going to put two generations together, I think what Tom did this past year to not only win it with one team, and and remember now, when we sent Joe over to Kansas City, if Joe didn't have that concussion against Buffalo in the AFC Championship Mm, game, Kansas City would have gone to the Super Bowl. Good point. I just watched that game a couple couple weeks ago. And this is towards you know, the end of Joe's career, mm. right? You remember 
when that's the greatness of Joe Montana. You remember John Elway was named by people Mr. Comeback, right? Because mm-hmm. he won those playoff games against Cleveland in the last drive of the game. And then we we were saying, well, Joe's Mr. Comeback, he did it in the Super Bowl. <laughs> when Joe went to Kansas City, they had a showdown on a Monday night with the Denver Broncos, and Joe drove the ball mm-hmm. in the last drive to win it in Denver. That's yep. the greatness of Joe Montana. But, Absolutely. You know, for me, if my guy's in the conversation as the top two, I'm fine with that now. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, like you Absolutely. said, it's different eras, so it, it's very difficult to judge them. But who, who knows what type of type uh, what type of career Tom Brady would have had if he were playing under Joe Montana's rules and was hit yeah. a little bit more. Who knows if he'd be still playing right now? You know, that's a definite, definitely a valid question. Um, Jesse, you were the you were the 49ers last pick in the eleventh round of the nineteen eighty three draft. And your day, there were 12 rounds, and they were all in one day, which is crazy. Did it sound like an auction when they were doing this? When they were just like, <laughs> we got Jim Kelly, we got Dan Marino, we got <laughs> Eric Dickerson, Jesse Spolo. <laughs> like, was it something like that? How, how did, and, and then also, uh, how did you find out that you were drafted? Did the, because obviously things are different. It's not live, uh, you know, they've got a satellite TV in your house and they're, Internet you know, and yeah, yeah. broadcast live. How did you find out? Did the GM call you? And, and how did that take place? Yeah. That that's exactly the point there, Chad, is we didn't know what was going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't on Chaos. TV. Uh-huh. You know, there wasn't there wasn't a, an ESPN where you see a, a, the name scrolling under, yeah. you know, uh who's been picked. Uh the 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 draft started in New York, five o'clock Hawaii time. Oh, oh wow. And I didn't know. I, I didn't. I didn't get the call that I got drafted until seven thirty at night. Jeez. So, so that's waiting like almost what, almost sixteen or eighteen hours. Uh, wow. But the funny thing is, I got a call from Philadelphia. Yeah, and they were going to take you. Yeah, right. Philadelphia was like two picks away at from the present time, and then they said, "Oh, never mind. You just got picked by San Francisco." Oh, so that's how oh. you found out. That's crazy. Wow. That's so, wild. That's how it is. You know, another yeah. team had to tell me where I was going. That's so wild. <laughs> that's crazy. So different than today. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned oh, yeah. that. I would have been, been a free agent today, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> man, oh, man. You mentioned that uh, epic comeback that you were on the field for um, when Joe and you guys went down, John Taylor with that winning touchdown catch. That was, of course, one of the top 100 plays in NFL history, according to the NFL and NFL.com. You were on the field for three of those, right? So, Roger Craig's high knee run, um, Steve Young's uh, epic run against yeah. the Vikings, and then of course that that John Taylor play that you reference. Can you take one of those, Jesse? Maybe the one that you remember the most vividly and clearly, and kind of walk us through that play, and maybe the celebration afterwards, and just what you remember from from those. Well, is, is the John Taylor play was it was that on a Monday night? The John Taylor play was no, no. The John Taylor was the the Super Bowl, the the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, to to cap that that, long drive, to cap that long drive. Uh, You know, honestly, in the 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 feelings of the moment, Mm. it's not even close. It's a John Taylor touchdown. Oh wow! Was it the most was it the most spectacular play that John Taylor's ever made? No, but when you're looking at, I mean, we had to score. Mm. You know. Um, and that's another thing with the greatness of those offenses that we could have kicked the field goal and taken it into overtime, but but we said no, we want to be aggressive and try to put this thing to rest right now. So because of 
you know, the, 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 one of the, probably the thing that people remember most about the history of the 49ers is the, the white Clark catch to mm-hmm. send the 49ers to their first season. Well, that was the NFC championship game. Mm-hmm. The John Taylor catch that you, you're, you're referencing was to win the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, was the Steve Young uh, play? That was spectacular. The yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, that was, it was crazy. crazy. We were all thinking, there he goes again. We got to scramble <laughs> to try to cover for him and try to protect him because, you know, uh, that was, you know, Steve was a Michael Vick before. Michael yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was a. And you talked about that in your book. Jesse, you talked about that yeah. in your book real quick, and you said that uh, one of the things that you guys had to work with him on was staying in the pocket, and he had happy <laughs> feet, and he was always getting outside the pocket. You guys would get pissed off sometimes, like, Steve, stay in the damn pocket, dude. What are you doing? We're busting our ass up here, and you're you're doing two reads and taking off, you know? Well, one of the one, one of the, the worst things, and, and, you know, we're moving from uh, the greatest quarterback of yeah. all time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we didn't know what Steve was going to be, right? Yeah. We knew he was good, but we didn't know what he was going to be. And there's nothing worse than thinking you're doing your job, you're blocking good, you're blocking good, and the next thing you know, your quarterback is right on your left hip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Son of a bitch. You know. <laughs> um, but here's the thing that I also said, that I felt, and I was, I just retired, and I felt like if Steve didn't get knocked out in Arizona and that blitz, by Aeneas Williams. Mm-hmm. Steve was so good with that offense that I I felt the 49ers would have won another Super Bowl. Oh, Steve wow. Young, the second Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. Because if you remember back um, playoff game against the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, of course. Steve threw that ball to Terrell Owens. Yep. Steve would have never thought about squeezing that ball in there. Uh, in his first three years starting for us. Wow. Because Steve knew he had four six speed at that time, was really fast for mm-hmm. a quarterback. And he would have pulled it down and and, and done the the sure thing mm-hmm. instead of following the progression of how Bill Walsh designed those those offenses. But when I was watching on TV and I saw him made that throw, Steve was already good, starting to be really good during my last Super Bowl, you know, when he threw six to snap. But when he threw that, I knew he was even better. He was mm-hmm. still getting better. And uh, and then we lost in a playoff game to Minnesota by one in Minnesota. Yep. Uh, Heartbreaker. Uh, I just felt like um, Steve would have won another Super Bowl because he and, – and me and him talked about it in Hawaii when we sat down. Nice. And he told me, you know, Jess, that the, the thing that that really changed me as a quarterback, and I truly agree with him, is 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 he just trusted – he trusted his instincts. If he sees something, pull the trigger, mm-hmm. you know, which naturally is a human reaction. Like Michael Vick in the beginning, yeah. you know, Michael Vick was going to take off with that ball. Every right? time. Yeah. And, and, uh, and Steve was a little bit that way in his first two to three years starting for us. Mm. And that's why he was still MVP. But the Niner fans rode him hard because he never brought home the Lombardi, yeah. you know? And he got and the monkey Steve, off his back. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. And, and once Steve, trusted the progression of the offense, still implement his running into it, but it mm-hmm. wasn't the main thing. It was what he did when nothing else was happening. Then he became the, the Hall of Fame quarterback. He Absolutely. What a treat to to go from Joe Montana to Steve Young, too. You know, I mean, Steve Young would be a lot of franchises' best quarterback, you know, the franchise, like the, the best quarterback in their franchise. And to go from 
Joe Montana to Steve Young. I remember as a kid thinking how fascinating that was. Yeah. Um, speaking well, of- and likewise, too. I mean, what a treat for Steve Young to walk in and yeah. have Jesse and those guys blocking yeah, yeah. for him and to have, you know, uh, Jerry Rice, <laughs> Brent Jones. I mean, you, yeah, yeah. the teams were loaded in, yeah. in the 90s. I mean, uh, it, kind of reciprocal. It works both ways. They, they Yeah, definitely. I definitely. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Jesse, on, on a more uh, sobering note, man, there's a lot of stuff in the news about former NFL players struggling with their mental health, um, struggling physically as well. Um, I don't know if you saw Ryan Leaf came out a month or two ago in tears on Twitter saying, you know, I'm sick of this. My my brothers are dying and more needs to be done. Um, of course, I'm not going to ask for names or anything like that. But can you give us an idea from your perspective of how big of a scope is this problem? Like you were in the league 14 years. Do you know three or four guys who are struggling in this way? Do you know 20, 30? Is it dozens? Like from your perspective, how big is this problem of mental health after retirement in the NFL or physical health as well after retirement in the NFL and people not getting the resources that they need? Well, I think the biggest uh, challenge on the news is the mental health, you know, uh, with, you know, brain injuries, mm-hmm. uh, the more information that we've gotten. Uh, I know of four or five guys that are struggling right now, but I think one of the things that uh, uh, athletes, you know, when they turn those engines off, right, is not feel vulnerable when you admit that you are vulnerable, mm. right? Because yeah. we're so conditioned to, no, I'm a tough guy. No, no, it's, it's not a problem. Well, it is a problem. And uh, I think uh, the NFL is so afraid of that problem that that's one of the reasons why they implemented some of these rules, right? With, with living with the head and, and even in college, you know, uh, when you look at tackling, you know, targeting to me was the normal way we played. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah that, that was a textbook <laughs> tackle when you, <laughs> you were... just kick out that yeah. kid from a game? Are you serious? Yeah, that was textbook. <laughs> but, but I think I think they're all, uh, you know, I... I when I grew up in Samoa, I, I played rugby, mm-hmm. right? And people used to say, well, football, you know, you guys got protection, you, you got a helmet. Well, I tell the, pe- I tell the people that I grew up with and, and some family that, that still play rugby in those countries like New Zealand, I said, if, if have you ever carried a helmet? It's, it's a piece of metal that weighs about six to seven pounds. Mm-hmm. And when you put it on a 300-pound guy that goes full speed and you ram it into another human being, it's and then another human being has the same seven-pound piece of metal coming yep. at you, at some point there's an effect, right? And uh, we'll get more and more information about it. I think the NFL is better at it, you know, in, in trying to handle that problem. But like anything else, you know, we, we still have to push. We still have to push. Is it in the back of my mind? Yeah. It's, it's in the back of my mind because I played a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we, I joke with my my friend and family, you know, I got a Samoan nugget that, you know, <laughs> that I, don't, I don't feel it. But, but you know, in all seriousness, yeah, it's in the back of, it's in the back of my mind because I'm one that played a long time. Yeah, you did. In my 15 years, and my 15 years, if you think about it, it's in the playoffs every year. So those are extra games. That's so. actually 16. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, at least uh, 16 or maybe 18 years mm-hmm. because – you know, when you go to the Super Bowl, you play three extra games. So that's four Super Bowls. That's twelve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then the other twelve years. Oh, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, the the other eleven years. I mean, we were at least in one or two Super Bowl. I mean, uh, playoff games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in those years, we 
we used to win the Super Bowl and they bring us back early because they used to send us over to Europe to, prom- to promote a league they call NFL Europe. Remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. Yep. So we used to have five, five preseason games. Wow. Forgot about that. So, uh, and, 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 and the training camps back then were doggy dog, mm-hmm. you know. I bet. Uh, well, Bill Walsh. All, all out, you know, pounding, right? It's not like the way it is now where our union, I think it's a great thing you know, uh, dictate how many times that the players can really be in full pads, you know, and, and all of that stuff being implemented is because of this problem that you guys are talking about. Um, I, I think the, the players of today uh, have given us a, a, some benefits here and there, but I still think it, it, it needs to be better because the NFL is worth a whole lot more money now than when it, when I was playing. Definitely. You know, I remember when we went to one, when we, when the league went past the one billion mark, we thought that was wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's like twenty times more now. Yeah. You know, so uh for me, they, they should help and take care of some of my brothers uh that have um, given their lives to entertaining the fans and, and, and making money for the league. Yeah, oh, building that league, you know. Yeah, or, yeah building that league. So Absolutely. it's something that uh it's it's a little bit of a a sensitive subject to to a lot of us. Um, yeah. But it's something that needs to be addressed. Yeah, Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. We referenced um, uh, training camp there. Um, I, w- I just want to talk a little bit about the great Bill Walsh. Uh, you guys had a unique relationship, and, and he had a unique relationship with with his players. Um, you said that he always kept you guys on your toes and never allowed you guys to get comfortable. Um, in your book, you say that one day he called and your wife Lisa answered the phone and you weren't home. Uh, you at, You came home and you asked what, what he wanted. And she said that he just called to say he loved you. And I want to know, was he drinking heavily or was he? Was but, but seriously, no, what, what kind of relationship do you have? And then not that, how did that make you feel to, to have your coach just call you just to say, just to express his, his feelings for you. That had to it's be incredible. Yeah, that had to be just an amazing feeling, especially for someone that you had played for for so long. I think, you know, me being an 11th round draft choice, Coach Walsh rode me hard, you know, because I wasn't expected to make the team, right? And uh, usually the team's favorite are early picks because the fans, if you cut an early pick, you know, the fans will say, well, we wasted a pick on that guy. You know? <laughs> yeah. And they're giving those guys all the opportunity to make teams. You know, if they traded for another veteran, uh, they they favor that. But I came in with a chip on my shoulder that I was going to bust the mm. system, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Just bust through that that lineup. And, and, and fortunately, I, I think I, I did. But, you know, Bill was very demanding, not only to me, you know, I just felt maybe he was harder on me because I was a late round pick, mm-hmm. but Bill brought us in one, one, one day, my whole draft class after I think the third preseason game and, and said, I expect more from you guys. Mm. <laughs> oh, wow. So, you know, what, who knows what that exactly means. <laughs> yeah. And then the very next week, he cut a third-round pick, which is a pretty wow. high pick. Oof, wow. And Blanchard Montgomery from UCLA. Oof. And I realized that, oh, okay, wow. that's what he meant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't messing around. He <laughs> made an example. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. 
you better go beyond doing your job. You're not going to be here. Absolutely. Now, the credit to Bill, even though he was hard on me, he was hard on everybody, mm-hmm. including Joe. You know, and and Joe laughs about it. And he said, just well, you keep bringing that up, right? <laughs> because I remember when Bill first left, right? After we won that Super Bowl with John Taylor, the very next year became the most dominating Super Bowl in history. Yeah. I mean, we lost two games in the regular season by a total of five points. And we beat the Denver Broncos and John Elway 55 to 10. Joe was out in the th- out at the end of the third quarter after throwing five <laughs> touchdowns. Yeah. Dominating. Dominant, just dominate. And and people interviewed all of us. Did we do it directly? No, it was indirectly done. But we wanted to prove that it wasn't just Bill. That's how intense that relationship mm. was. It wasn't just Bill's genius that allowed us to become champions. It was also the players, mm. right? But now that we all look at it, it really, really was Bill's system, except he had the right players to execute that system, even though Joe Seifert became the coach. And they asked <laughs> Joe a question, and I still remember. And uh, Joe, what does it feel like uh, to win the Super Bowl with George Seifert? And and uh, and Joe said, it's, it's like parking your car in the desert and you finally get to roll the window down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hadn't heard that before. That's awesome. I, I never, I mean, I, he couldn't put it any better. Yeah. <laughs> but I was joking with Joe about it. He said, come on, Jesse, you stop bringing that up. You know, the media's going to get a hold of it. You know, but, uh, That's awesome. But it, it, it was, it was the way it was. But the thing is, our relationship, we did, we did a little special at the end because Bill wanted to, to go through installation and, and the progression of the West Coast before Joe got old. So we all did it in shorts and shirts. <laughs> nice. And they interviewed Bill and they asked him, what was one thing you regret? And Coach Walsh answered that I didn't tell enough of my players that I loved them. Oh. I, had oh. I had to hide it from them. Oh, you know? wow. And, and, uh, so it made sense when I came home that day, you know, and, uh, wow. And when my wife said coach called and I'm like the last person that I wanted, was, I, that was expecting <laughs> for her to say was coach Walsh. You know, yeah. I know a lot of other yeah. coaches. And she said, it was coach, coach Walsh called. And I said, Oh, well, what did he say? You know? And she said, he just called it to let you know that he loved you. you know? wow. And I had to sit down because. Mm. Yeah. That's when 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 you're trying to live up to someone's expectations and the way he demanded things. The last thing that you think about in your mind is, does this guy love me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, at the same time, I wouldn't be sitting here with four Super Bowl rings. I know that in my heart. That's incredible. Without that kind of demand, uh, the, the the attention to details, you know, never compromise anything when you step on that field mm. to give yourself a chance to win. Hey, we just want to take a quick second to tell you about one of our favorite sponsors, Alfonso Murray. Chad, go fund yourself. What'd you say, man? Yeah, man. Go fund yourself ah. with disability, Medicare coverage, or life insurance coverage le- licensed in Texas, Maine, and Colorado. For more information, go to alfonzomurray.com. That's A-L-F-O-N-Z-O-M-U-R-R-A-Y.com. Yeah, one of the great things about Alfonso, man, is that he doesn't just represent one company. He also re- he represents AIG, John Hancock, uh, Aetna, Humana, 
and Cigna. In as, addition to Mutual, Mutual of Omaha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's going to get you something with any of those guys. If, if one, one company doesn't work out, I'll hook you up with somebody else. Yeah. And what's cool is he he's he's laid back. He's not pushy. There are a lot of... Dude, there's so many life insurance guys. It's a stereotype, but no, there's a lot annoying. of pushy insurance people yeah. who are just calling you back a million times, really trying to push their product yeah. on you. And he's the exact opposite of that. So if you're on the fence out there and you're like, I might want insurance. I'm not sure. I just want to talk to someone about it. Alfonso is someone who's going to get to know you personally um, and not push his product. Yeah, and he's not gonna like show up at your work like, uh, hey man, like bust out of the bushes like, hey man, what's up with that life insurance with policy? The binoculars man? and shit. <laughs> and you're like, dude, where the hell did you come from? <laughs> he's like, man, I thought he was gonna get some life insurance, man. You're like, dude, settle down. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Alfonso's not like that. He's super cool, man. And I have exactly. it on good authority from someone here, at Hot Pie, that. Uh, he's not pushy and he's got some good products. Dude, Alfonso came in to tape his ad. And to tell us what he wanted in his ad. And he actually has ended up intriguing <laughs> Hot Pie employees yeah. just from the conversation. And they're now going to be actually today, a phone call is going to be. Talk, I'm about to hit him up because I, I just you. had a son, man. I need to get some life insurance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to, you know, careful. get a little nest egg for my son just in case, you know. Never be too careful. Uh, yeah, exactly. So hit up Alfonso Murray. That's A L F O N Z O M U R A Y dot com. Jesse, I'm sure you don't remember this, but. 2002, you were retired. You were on the 49ers uh, sideline, and it was my first NFL game as a fan, and it was in uh, at Dallas. And two guys signed my hat that day, you and Bill Walsh. And uh, that meant the world to me as an 18-year-old to uh, to be able to uh, just have a very short conversation with you guys and, uh, you know, have you guys sign my hat. And I've still got it to this day. That's awesome. I've also got some mail from you as well. I used to write 49ers. Dude, like, I did. I, I wrote Steve all the Young when I was a kid. Yep, and yep. I got a photocopied uh, autograph from yep, him. I yep. thought it was real yeah, for like it's really cool, man. Four days. So, so <laughs> that stuff... You guys had- I don't think you guys had Twitter or Instagram to reach us. Man. No, no, we didn't. <laughs> exactly. It, was, it took it took him like eight weeks to respond. I was like, shit. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Seriously. Uh, on a more serious note, Jesse, um, we're, we're Chad and I were talking, man. We we're reviewing your career, and and I already felt like, why isn't Jesse in the Hall of Fame? He yeah. he damn well should be. And then when we were looking deeper before this interview and really looking into it, we're like. Only two Pro Bowls for this guy? Are you kidding me? Yeah. And so I've got a couple theories, and I want to know how you feel about these theories, right? So one theory that I have of why you haven't gotten, in my opinion, the the recognition that you deserve. You've gotten a lot of recognition, but I feel like you deserve a lot more personally. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those theories is, um, and it was mentioned a little bit in the book, the switch um, from guard to center, right? In my mind, if I'm a Hall of Fame voter, Chad, yeah, I look at I, versatility. I'm looking at this as a positive thing yeah. that you have switched positions, uh-huh. you have demonstrated versatility, you have taken one for the team, so to speak, and this is a good thing. And now you should be more eligible for the Hall of Fame. I totally agree. But I think that is hurting you, Jesse, in this case because. People are looking at the body of work as a guard, which is absurd. And he only had X amount of seasons yeah. as a guard and X amount of seasons as a center, so it kind of dilutes the, the sample size, if you will. That's that's one theory. And then the other theory that I wanted to run by you and see if you you agree with. You're just a humble dude, man. You're yeah. not cocky. You're yeah. you're not a, a diva, you know, so to speak. And I feel like 
with these writers who are voting, there's a sweet spot, right? Like you can't be too cocky and arrogant yeah. like Terrell Owens. It, it hurt him. It clearly yeah, yeah. hurt him in the Hall of Fame voting. But then I feel like if you're really humble and you're not flashy like Jesse is, he's just a no nonsense guy who yeah. does a damn good job that, you know what I mean? The writers may overlook you. So mm. how do you feel about those sort of those two theories and those those assessments? Do you think they fit? Feel free to correct me if you disagree. Well. I, I just wish that the voters would take into account what you did for the, your team and your organization. Because if you look at it, they not only switched me one time, they switched me three different times. Mm. What they should look at is when they switched me after the John Taylor touchdown, it's because Randy Cross retired. Right. Mm -hmm. And when I switched, not only did we win the Super Bowl, it became the most dominant Super Bowl and season, you know, probably the 49ers ever had as mm -hmm. far as the dominance in uh, in the playoffs going into uh, to the Super Bowl. Uh, and then I played at center, you know, and then they switched me back when Guy McIntyre left to go to Green Bay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, and, and this is after I made my first, my first Pro Bowl. And the saying was, you know, Jesse, we'll give you incentives uh, you know, for making a Pro Bowl the next year, even if you don't make it, but we need you to switch mm. because we feel like it's going to help us win the Super Bowl. Well, when I made the switch, we won the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. We brought in Bart Oates. And we brought in Bart Oates only if they got my blessing. Mm. Right? Did I want to do it? No, because I was tired of being an alternate. You know, yeah. uh, you know I was like four or five times alternate at, at – uh, Guard, you know, and then when I went to center, I became an alternate because I, I kept switching back and forth. Yeah. Now I did that all because of my team, you know, because my my thinking was, I'm not going to play so that we can celebrate me going into the Hall of Fame because that's a personal and my my, my family uh, accomplishment. I played the game so that we can have parades at Parker Street and San Francisco. Yep. <laughs> the way you can do that is to bring the trophy home. Mm -hmm. That was my thinking at the time, you know. So now uh, <clears throat> the NFL uh, implemented a few things, like they have an old timers, yeah. you know, when they can look into that stuff. Mm -hmm. But you guys are right. You know, I'm not going to go out there and toot my own horn. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, Jesse, uh, Jesse, let but, me let me toot it for you. You just you just gave examples of times where you kind of took one for the team, did the unselfish thing, right? And you didn't even mm -hmm. mention playing after open heart surgery yeah. your last year in the yeah, league. Yeah. I mean, that's another, like yeah. the, the amount of sacrifices that you made were, the number of them were so incredible that, oh yeah, there's that time that I played after open heart surgery yeah, yeah. one more year footnote, in the league. You know, that's, that's a footnote, a footnote because there's so many examples of your yeah. unselfishness, man. Uh, it, it's inspiring. It really is. And, and I agree that the the Hall of Fame should should consider those things. For sure. I, I, I was when we were looking into this, I couldn't believe when you told me he wasn't in the Hall of Fame. I yeah. was like, no, nah, dude, I, I had to double check that. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So so you, you don't worry about tuning your own horn, man. We're I know that you're too you. humble for that. Yeah. We're going to do it for you. Chad <laughs> yeah. and I are going to lead the way on that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, so you talked about your unselfishness. There are times in the NFL, and you mentioned this in your book, that you do have to look out for yourself, that you do have to be selfish, so to speak, and uh, hold out for your money. And you did just that. And uh, during your holdout, you were in Hawaii, and uh, uh, 
Roger Craig called you. Love the great story. running back uh, called you from <laughs> from camp. He called you, and he got Joe Montana on the phone. And Joe said to, said to you, "quote uh, When are you coming in, bitch?" End quote. <laughs> That's what he said to you. But uh, I want to know how good did it feel to to know the greatest quarterback of all time at that time? You know, wanted you in there, and that he also said to make sure you got your money. And uh, Roger Craig and uh, Ronnie Lott also. Uh, said that he was proud of you for for holding out and getting your money. But what did that feel like to have the backing of your teammates uh, during that difficult time? Uh, it, it was it was the ultimate compliment. Um, <clears throat> but it was totally going against my belief system, right? Mm. But either way I leaned, I just couldn't do anything else. It was it, when you when you go back to back Super Bowls and you start at two different positions, and when they ask you to move, you're doing them a favor, right? Yep. They're asking you to move. And not only did you go back to the Super Bowl, it was one of the most dominating seasons in NFL history. Yep. And yet you're still getting paid less than guys that keep going home in December from the Atlanta Falcons, yep. from mm. other teams. It just didn't sit right. Even my own relatives were telling me, you know, my own mom. When, when your mom tells <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you gotta listen. Your mama don't pay. Your know, mom tell you, my mom is, you know, very unselfish. But when she tells you, you know, son, you're giving your life yeah. to this team. Yeah. And sometimes your respect is more important than any amount of money, you know. And the hard thing about it is that Eddie DeBartolo is one of the best owners, mm. right? Yeah. And then again, it goes back to how I conducted myself. The fact that I was an 11th round draft choice, I felt like I needed to make a stand. I'm no longer 11th round draft choice. You know, I'm I'm a I'm I'm your mainstay starter that has now started two different positions. You won Super Bowls at both positions that I played. At least just give me what's you know, more money than the guys that go home every December mm -hmm. that doesn't play for the big marbles. Mm -hmm. That's all I wanted, mm -hmm. you know, and. uh and my agent uh, talked to me and I said, I'm, I'm willing to stay home, you know, because that's that's the only way we could do it. Because yeah. here's the way here's the way NFL contracts are. I can sign a four year contract. They can cut. Yeah. 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 And not honor the other two years. Mm -hmm. So what happens if you outplay your contract, grossly outplay your contract? What? You can't all of a sudden tell me you got to stick to what you signed. Mm -hmm. The only tool you have. Yep. It's the other way around, you're going to cut. They don't care. Yep. Yeah. So, so I did what I had to do. Was I comfortable? No. Now, <laughs> by the third week, you know, because every time they play a preseason game, they flash the names of the holdouts. <laughs> and people will, you know, and I'll be, I'll be laughing. You know, thank God there was no cell phone. I mean, uh, yeah, back then, my phone was up. Yeah. But so. You know, uh, Lisa and I went to Hawaii, relax, you know, just to get my mind off of things. And then guess who we preseason? After we beat them 55 to 10, we preseason uh, the Denver Broncos in the third preseason of the game. They're still sore from, from the Super Bowl. Mm, yeah. so what they did is they threw, they threw playoff-type blitzes at Joe. Mm. And Joe was getting hit. He must have gotten sacked like six times. Without you in there. Hit, hit six times. <laughs> They, they sacked him twice. They hit him six times, and they took him out of the game. Right, so 
<laughs> so after that game, I called Roger Craig because we were roommates as, as rookies. I called his room. I said, hey, how's Joe doing? He said, hold up. <laughs> <laughs> he ran out and he told Joe, just he's on the phone. <laughs> Joe came in to Roger's room and the first thing he said, Pitts, when are you coming in? <laughs> and after we laughed, you know, I, I was really concerned. I said, are you all right? Yeah. Says, I'm okay. I'm okay. Make sure you get your money. That's awesome. Make sure you get your money before you come in. Ah, that's awesome. And then when I came in, when I walked in that locker room, you know, Harris Barton, you know, Guy McIntyre and I were the holdouts. Yeah. So Harris Barton and those guys, Steve Wallace, were working out. As soon as they saw me walk in the locker room, you should have heard Bullshit. This is bullshit. <laughs> you didn't take, take one hit in training camp. Now you're here. <laughs> you're, just, you're just riding me hard. Got to skip around. the hard stuff. Coming in, your nails are all manicured and everything. You guys have got like ice packs all over. You got a nice little tan going on. You got a margarita in your hand and shit. They're like, dude. But what's you know, going? like you guys are saying, even though they knew I was doing the right thing, yeah. you don't know how they were going to accept Because I've never held out. Before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And when I walked, to my locker, you know, touch up a few things. And then when I walked back to go to the team meeting, uh, Ronnie Lott walked over and stopped me and said he was proud of me. Because well, mm. Ronnie was that type of person. Yeah. You, you fight for what you think is right. And uh, that gave me some uh, some real warm feelings to walk into that meeting room. <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah. Absolutely. You, you mentioned Ronnie, and I know you said in the book, people ask you all the time about his finger, right? And, you know, did, mm -hmm. he, you know, did he really do that? Did he really cut off the, the tip of his finger so he could play keep playing football. And that story has been told a lot. What I want to know, what I haven't heard is how did you find out about that? Like, did he just show up like after the off season? Was it in the news? Like, did, did you hear from someone else? Like, when did you learn that that man had the tip of his finger removed? Well, we knew, we knew like a week later, you know, as we were coming into the training room and the stories get around, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, like if 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 we had social media right now, that story would have been yeah, huge. that would have been on like TikTok. Very, yeah. Ronnie Lott's hand would have been all over yeah, TikTok. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> Snapchat. On, on the way, Ron, Ronnie driving home from that game. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that news would have been out. But, yeah. but and that, and that's what you appreciate because something that we we held on onto as a team for for a little while until the, the you know, and then they 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 start talking to the trainers. They start talking to to the doctors and, and then the, the story was confirmed, but mm. it was just a mindset back. It was just a mindset back. I mean, one of the, some of the stories that I tell people now is that there are times I wasn't sure if I was going to play on Sunday mm. and, I, and I make fun. I said, I, I missed that little liquid in the end of the needle when the doctors <laughs> doing this to test the, the, the cortisone they're going to inject. Into yeah. Me. Yeah. That was the norm to me. Wow. You know, so I needed to play on Sunday. Right. Yeah. Now, Sacrifice, I, am I man. feeling some of that now? Yeah, I feel some of that Yeah, now. yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> man, but oh, that man. was just a mindset. And it it was a big deal to a lot of fans. But, you know, to, to Ronnie Lott and to some of his teammates, that was just something that we we needed to do. I wanted to ask you another question about another legend, uh, Jerry Rice. Uh, you were there to watch his maturation process. When did you know that he was going to be the best receiver of all time? When did you know he was going to be that good? And then follow-up question, did he ever invite you to run the hill or was that more for, for the skinny guys and the skill position players? Because he talks about that hill all the time. And I'm wondering if you've ever been. 
No, he never invited me to run the hill. You know, I, was, I, I was more veteran than he was, and, and I'm, I'm smarter. But uh, with Jerry, you know, when I mentioned that about John Taylor being the best athlete, John Taylor was a freakish athlete. Now, to me, that is also a, uh, a compliment to Jerry Rice mm. because his work ethic was second to none. He became who he was not being the best athlete. Not that doesn't mean he wasn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of the, you know, some of the things John Taylor did was unbelievable. Now, if John Taylor would have worked out the same way Jerry mm. Rice worked out, you never know. Yeah. You know, but but Jerry, his ability to catch up, like even now when I'm watching practice, when I'm watching the uh, the private workouts on the NFL channel, right? You see the receivers catch the ball when they they do a, a uh, a pro day for a certain quarterback. They just catch the ball and run 10 yards and turn around and come back. Yeah. Mm. But I don't know if you guys heard stories. Jerry Rice would catch the ball, run 60 yards to the end zone and run back in time for the fumble. Wow. That's what Every he time. And then Roger And then Roger Craig started copying him. You know, and what does that mean? People say, so what? Well, so what means it raised the standard of mm-hmm. how it Changed the culture. It, yeah. It changed the culture. Absolutely. It changed the work ethic. And and you talk about the greatness of Brady going from one established culture and 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 make other people win the mm-hmm. championship at another team. Uh that's the kind of influence that Jerry Rice had. You know, uh his work ethic was was second to none. And he kind of brought everybody, you know, and, and I tell people all the time, I work my butt off, you know, uh, to do what I do. But when we practiced with Jerry and those guys, you knew that you better perform up to the highest level that you can because that's just the standard. Uh, we called later the 49ers standard. Uh, Jerry was one of the, the pace setters. I asked about the Hill. And, and the reason I ask is because I've got a story as well. Jerry Rice almost got me killed and he doesn't know this. So <laughs> for those of you who aren't 49er fans or who haven't heard Jerry Rice talk about, there's this Hill in Northern California that he's trained on yeah. and he's, he talks about it. And he credits him sprinting this damn Hill and he's brought rookies and they'll start puking on this yeah, Hill. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a big runner. So I was dating someone who happened to live 10 minutes from this Hill and I'd heard about it. I'd heard all this lore around this Hill. So I said, I'm going to go check this hill out, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, I was in really, really good conditioning shape. So I was training for a half marathon at the time. And my ex, who was my girlfriend at the time, she says, hey, you go ahead. To, go ahead without me. You go run up the hill. I know you've been wanting to do this for a long time. You go ahead, run to the top, run back down, and I'll be walking up, and I'll meet you halfway. And, you know, we'll be good. I was like, thank you. That's really sweet of you. Thanks so much mm-hmm. for letting me go. So you guys, I start running, and I'm five minutes into my run, and a freaking bobcat Jesus runs like 30 yards out, 30 yards out. Just like it didn't see me, but it sprinted across. And there was another guy. We were in California, of course, but this dude was like stereotypical, like Texan. It was a white guy with jeans and a cowboy hat. So the, the cat split between us and I was, I was shocked and he's coming toward me. And I said, did you see that? And he goes, pretty cool, huh? <laughs> like it was nothing. And I'm like, so I went back. I said, nope, not going to the top of the no, hill. I'm not good. doing it. I've been wanting to do this my whole life, like but I'm done. Bobcats up there just waiting to <laughs> nibble on your damn. No, thanks. No, yeah. thanks at all. But, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, that, that, that hill, that hill is very demanding. And, and the story is, you know, Jerry runs two laps. Oh my God. You know, before he gets going on the hill. And everybody that runs a hill with him wait until he finishes. Two yeah, races. I'm sure they do. <laughs> I'm they sure they the do. Hill. And uh, and one of the funny stories is, 
Uh, I guess one off season, Dana Stubblefield trained over there oh, and wow. tried just to try to get up to the top of the hill, you know, and it took him about a month. And, and when he finally made it to the top of the hill, uh, Jerry Rice had to comfort him. He was crying. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it gives you an idea of how, how tough that hill must be. Yeah. Um, just, just the team in general, Jesse, I wanted to know like what you feel like, cause, cause your guys's, uh, team is obviously considered a dynasty. Um, it's always mentioned and, and, and until Tom Brady, really, it was always mentioned as like the standard for excellence in the NFL, which, uh, every dynasty was compared to, um, anytime you start to see like a, a, a little mini dynasty pop up, it was always immediately compared to your 49er teams. I just want to know. Uh, from an insider's perspective, what made those teams so unique? Obviously, you guys had great players and everything like that, but you but you alluded to it there a little bit with the culture, the work ethic, the standard that the 49ers had that was definitely different from other teams at that time. From an insider's perspective, you were in you were in the trenches, you were uh, you know, in the locker room. What was it that set you guys apart that made you guys so great? Well, it's just a standard that we set and how we practice, how we study film. And I, I knew this from some of the players that were, that were traded into us, you know, and, and for them to just sit there and say, man, we, we never went through anything like this. Mm-hmm. You know, we, you guys aren't shy to talk to us and hold us accountable. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I remember when we, uh, we, we won 18 straight road games in a matter wow. of two and a half years. That's, that, we lost some at Candlestick, but when we go on the road, because our teams were kind of built for AstroTurf, he goes, because Guy McIntyre and myself, you know, we're, we're 6'3", you know, 290, you know, real quick, but not 320. Mm-hmm. So when we play on Astral Turf, we really excel. That's why we're undefeated for over two and a half years wow. on the road. Yeah. At Candlestick, when that tide is high, that field gets wet and yep. it slows us down some to where mm. you play into the hands of some of the bigger teams. Um, <clears throat> but we, we won 18 straight games. We go to the New York Giants. We were leading, you know, and uh, <clears throat> we had a rookie named Dana Hall that was, he, he was missing some tackles. And yeah. First round draft choice. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then uh, the Giants drove the ball and they scored a touchdown uh, on us with about a minute 16 or a minute 30 seconds left, you know. And, uh, and then we got the ball back. We scored fast. And then the Giants got the ball back with seconds left, and they drove down enough for a field goal hmm. to kick a field goal and beat us. And part of it is because that first-round draft choice missed some tackle. Missed the tackle. Hmm. And before Dana Hall got to the sideline, I had to hold Guy McIntyre back because he was about to choke his neck. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a certain standard. Hmm. Um, if you remember correctly, there were rumors uh, with the with the Deion Sanders and, and, and Jerry Rice. Yeah. Uh, at our hotel yep. in in Miami, you know, and you know, if if you look at our hotel in Miami, uh, there's only two lanes that goes into the water where our hotel is, and it's a long, like a half a mile driveway to get from the main road to get to the Hilton where we're staying at. Well, the fact that we were playing in Miami, Deion Sanders during the week had some events. He had some charity foundation events, and he had a basketball. Uh, charity event, celebrity basketball game. But he left a good 45 minutes early to get back to in time for curfew. You know? So, but that little road was so busy with people coming in and out. 
that his Lamborghini <laughs> was stuck in traffic, uh, right? Uh, uh. He sat there for a good 25 minutes and ended up being late for curfew. Now, he was aware of the fact that he needed to get in time for the curfew. He, he got stuck in traffic. Mm-hmm. So George Seifert was pissed when we came back the next morning for a team meeting. And uh, George felt like, because we were the heavily favored team against San Diego, that we weren't taking it serious, right? So, so Joe George was just dropping f bombs. Right? <laughs> you, you guys meet on your own. All the coaches out, you know. <laughs> and if you guys want to f this up, not on my watch. F you. So, <laughs> we were all sitting in. We were all sitting in the in the team meeting room. <clears throat> when the coaches went out, Jerry got on, up and went off. Mm. You. You MFers are here because you want to win the championship and you miss curfew. <laughs> you know, that culture so, of winning. You know, and, but, but Dion was trying to make it, you know, at least he made the effort in time. Then I found out, and me being uh, the most veteran on the team, then I found out Burton Hanks missed it. Oh, shit. Oh. Right? And those guys were like an hour and something late to curfew. Dion was like 10 minutes late. Those guys were like almost two hours late to curfew. So after we calmed things down, I went up to Mert and I said, Mert, what the heck, man? Two hours late? And Mert, Mert said, Yes, we're drinking with Eddie DiBarlo. He <laughs> <laughs> got a free pass then, didn't he? They're like, hey, don't worry about it. Don't worry. Mert's cool, man. Mert's cool. <laughs> yeah. Can't tell the owner, no. Yeah. I said, what? And uh, Mert said, yeah, we're Eddie D. And it's all right. It's all right. Hall <laughs> pass. Why wasn't I there? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, why was I there? <laughs> so that happened. And, you know, if you remember correctly, we were expecting the Pittsburgh Steelers to come through. And it would have been a great matchup because they had, they were at four mm. Super Bowls at that time. Yep. From their 70s yep. team. And, and we were at four. And we would have been a nice matchup to go for the first team to be yeah. get to five. But San Diego went to Pittsburgh and, and upset them. So the line opened up at 18 points. Oh, so wow. We it, it was the biggest spread yeah. in history. It dropped down to like 15 as the week went along. But because everything was perfect and, and, and the pressure of us being so heavily favored, we needed something to just bring our concentration. And mm-hmm. that's the way we use that 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 situation, you know, because all the, the people say Eddie cooked the hot meals, the first class breakfast for his team, the best hotels, all that. We needed something to go a little wrong for us to bring it back. Mm. And and I felt that was one of the, the better things that happened, even though it happened indirectly that way. But yeah. uh, that's, you didn't, that's know, a good story. you didn't know that story about Merton Hanks. Like, yeah, oh, no, that's, that's a good a, story. That's I've never heard that before. Man. That's awesome. That's Merton hilarious. Hanks. That was one of my favorite players growing up. Oh, yeah, man. The neck I always, thing yeah, going the, on. Dude, he had the neck like a draft, yep. man. It was crazy. He yep. always had the longest neck. I always thought it was going to be like, <laughs> well, he's going to injure that thing somehow, man. But yeah, just great <laughs> teams all around, man. I remember uh, Dana Stubblefield, 97, oh, Merton Hanks, Brian Young. Brian Young. Yeah, yeah. All those teams. Those are some of my favorite teams as as a sports fan, honestly, man. I remember watching those. So fun to watch. All those games. Yeah, I remember those games vividly. I remember the watching the Super Bowl against San Diego and running around my house as uh, Jerry Rice was running for a touchdown, running around my house screaming and yelling and everything. <laughs> and so uh, I remember you on those teams specifically because I always, lo- always loved the offensive line play of those teams. 
Um, but here's what I tell the 49er fans, right? I said, you guys were so spoiled because you started partying at halftime. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Well, in those days, Jesse, as you know, I mean, it, it almost felt like the NFC championship game was the Super yes. Bowl because yeah, the I, NFC yep. had such high power yep. teams. You had the Packers, the Cowboys, yep. and the 49ers. I used to think that every year. Yeah. And, and the Giants. You remember the Giants yeah. teams? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember one of the things, I think it was your wife, someone said in the book um, that you actually don't like to wear your four rings because it reminds you that you could have had eight. And I thought that was really fascinating. And I'm wondering if you still feel that way as time has gone by, does the pain of those four NFC championship losses still kind of linger on par with the the four wins? It lingers. It lingers, but I I, I, I try to turn it in a positive way and and look at it as, uh, but yeah, yeah, it hurts. I mean, uh, you know, there was a time when uh, Charles Haley and I were competing to be the first individual to win five, mm. you know, when he went over to the Cowboys. And uh, and if I would have won, you know, realistically, realistically, uh, I could be sitting here with six, you know, mm. I mean, those, those other, the other two, yeah, you give it to your opponent, you know, yeah, we, yeah. we needed to play our best game to win, but, but, in a, you know, you, you remember uh, in the 94 season, we we locked out with Dana Stubblefield, mm-hmm. which is in the middle of the defensive line. Yeah. The very next year, we locked out. We got a kid named uh, Brian Young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we put those two guys in the middle because when you play the Dallas Cowboys, everybody talks about the playmaker and Aikman and all this. If you can't stop number twenty-two, and you're it, not going to win the game. Yep. You're not going to win the game. So we we stole Kenny Norton from them. Mm-hmm. And we put him in the middle to plug in the middle, right? Uh, we got Gary Plummer, who was yeah, a veteran in front. He knew how to fill the holes. So we built our defense inside inside out because some of those tough losses that I had is because we were trying to outscore teams. Mm-hmm. We had a great offense, but you can't outscore Dallas Cowboys when they have a great defense and then they have an offense that we couldn't stop. So, so Eddie went out and we lucked out in the draft. The draft was a big thing with those two young defensive top. Yeah. And we got Ricky Jackson, who was a, a, him, an yeah. all-pro from... Uh, that w- was a very, still a very smart player uh, mm. to lead those guys. So, uh, yeah, it's still it's still painful. But hey, you know, like I said, with, with the Joe Montana Tom Brady thing, as long as we're in the conversation, as yeah. one of absolutely the honesties of all times, then then you know you you, you you've done something uh, in the league. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that they're always going to be mentioned. Is like you know, and and you can argue. Uh, we were talking earlier about how offense, you know, the, the league wants offense and everything like that. I'm one of those old school guys. I have a couple of friends of mine that we we love 17-13 games or 13-6, to six, you know what I mean? These defensive battles, uh, field position battttles, even bringing the goofy ass punter into the game, you know what I'm saying? Let him get some shine <laughs> a little bit. Let him dictate the game a little bit. Who's got a better punter? You know what I'm saying? Of course you don't want the game coming down to that, but I like the old school 13-10 battles, you know what I mean, where a turno- one a turnover lot. changes changes the game. I get tired of this. I don't want to see this 48-45 shit. You know, it's yeah. just like, dude, okay, we get it. They're just going to there's they're, they're both teams are a sieve, you know what I mean? That gets old to me just seeing guys run up and down the field. I want to see some hits. I want to see some. I want to see a fullback. You know what I'm saying? I want to see some of that old school f- smash mouth football. And that was a completely different era than the, what there is now. So who knows how many Super Bowls you guys would have if the rules were different then? Yeah, and everything. It had been crazy. You know, if if you look at if you, uh, 
Chad, if you look at the uh, the 49er offense now, right? As innovative as as Kyle Shanahan is, you know, uh, we're we're one of the few teams that still has a fullback. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Damn good one too, uh, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yep. right. yeah. And, and a good one, right? Yep. So it goes to show you, to your point, everybody wants to spread the field out a little bit, but Kyle can spread the field out, but we can also play a little bit of smash mouth ball if mm-hmm. we need to. Uh, and his innovation with with a combination of both, I think it's it's uh, it's a beauty to see, uh, and the fact that he's young. Uh, you know, the 49er fans need to appreciate what we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Now, last year, you know, every team has every team has injuries, you know. But the injuries the 49ers <sighs> suffered last year, I have never seen. Yeah. <laughs> Even in my 15 years as a player, it was unbelievable. One key player after another, mm-hmm. just just totally uh, devastating. Yeah. And uh, hopefully that doesn't happen anymore. You know, because there were times I'm wondering, uh, is it because we don't work out or we yeah, work out yeah, yeah. you got to start questioning is this yeah. bad luck or what's going yeah, on yeah. yeah for sure seriously yeah. uh, but Jesse this is an awesome interview man this is uh, definitely an honor for both of us because like we said we grew up watching you I remember so many afternoons watching you guys play and looking forward to that game all day long it was always the, the game of the week on Fox because you guys were the best team in the in the NFL at that time. But uh, I look forward to those games so much. I distinctly remember watching you play. And it's so it's it's kind of crazy for me as a as, you know, 36 years old now to be able to interview someone that I watched growing up. 36. I was still playing at 36. Yeah, look at you, dude. Yeah. Hey, I, I might be able to bench like 90 pounds right now. If you... <laughs> I could probably run a half mile before I pass out, you know, so you have me. Yeah, you're probably going to live a lot longer than me. <laughs> but, um, Jesse, yeah, it was a great honor. There's so many awesome uh, aspects of this interview. The, uh, so so great to get your insight and your perspective on the 49ers, the game today, uh, your Super bowl teams and the teams that you played on and the players that you play with it's just a uh, you're you're a wealth of information brother and uh there's so many things that we didn't even get to ask you that we wanted to get yeah, to but, and all the stories you told too yeah. man just just great, great great interview really enjoyed the time with you man thank you so much thank you please you guys take care that's jesse sapolu uh four-time super bowl champion dude that's amazing you know what i'm saying which yeah. so crazy to me because like i watched this guy playing growing up and i i uh always thought about how great these offensive lines were and everything. And so to, to see that and everything and to see, to be able to talk to him and ask him some of these questions and everything, uh, it was, it was great, man. It, to get an inside, inside his perspective, some of these most, some of the most amazing players the NFL has ever seen, yeah. you know, and this guy played with them and, and was well respected by them and everything. So, and so humble. I mean, this guy yeah. has been underrated and I would say underappreciated his entire career and he he could be the most cocky, arrogant guy tooting his own Easily. horn, but he refuses to. Yeah. Um, and uh, man, he he wants those six rings so bad. Yeah, I know. You, you can, can hear you the, can the pain in his voice. Yeah. He knows he was deserving of those yeah. other two. Um, how about I remember earlier in the interview when he was talking about the the Tom the Tom Brady to Joe comparison? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was fascinating that, too. That's a, that, yeah, it is. And I was, I was I was surprised to hear him say that he uh, thinks. Uh, Tommy is over oh, over Joe because you and like you said you wouldn't think that you, you'd be tooting your you know tooting the horn for the guy that you play with and everything like yeah. that instead he's got enough perspective and he's not too proud to say that he thinks Tom is and I thought Tom Brady was for a while you know 
for the last two Super Bowls. But yeah, when he won it in, in Tampa Bay this year, that was one of the most remarkable things I've seen in sports in my lifetime to see a guy that, you know, you hear all that for 20 years, it's the culture, it's the, it's the system. He's a system quarterback. It's Belichick and everything like that for him to yeah. go like create a satellite organization, so to speak, and to bring all these guys in, in a Gronk, year to, yeah. yeah, to take a team that hasn't made this, made the playoffs in, you know, almost 10 years and been relevant for 20 years and to instantaneously instantaneously turn them into a Super Bowl uh, team is is unbelievable, man. And yeah. so, yeah, that was kind of cemented it, his legacy for me. Yeah, the, uh, if the other six didn't, you know what I'm saying? That yeah. definitely did. Absolutely. How sure. about the – I'm going to pour us a drink if you don't mind. How about oh, yeah, the, uh, the Merton Hanks story that he told? How good – yeah. I, I want to Google that because is that public? Has anybody heard that story before? That was Dude, that's a – that, I don't think so. I've never heard that anyways. <laughs> it's awesome to get some uh, insider information about Merton Hanks too, man. I always yeah. wonder what that guy was like. I wonder what he's up to now these days. We should reach out to him. Yeah, we should, man. Show, but, yeah, definitely. But he was – he. <laughs> yeah. He was drinking with the top guy in the organization yeah. before the Super Bowl, and he had a hall yeah, like pass. You said it's a hall pass for man. why he was late. It's that a hall is pass. Hilarious. Yeah. And Dion was getting all this hell for being a, a few minutes late. Yeah, dude, that's crazy as hell. <laughs> like, uh, you should have just said you was with Eddie D, man. You'd have been good. Nothing oh, yeah, that's, happened. That's, you know the, that's the excuse card right there. Uh, sure. While you're doing that, I'm gonna plug Jesse's Twitter. So uh, find Jesse on Twitter. He is at Jesse Sapolu. J-E-S-S-E-S-A-P-O-L-U. Also, uh, Sapolu, meninthetrenches.com uh, is his website where you can find some information about uh, the program that he's doing for offensive linemen, teaching them the game. Uh, for us, <clears throat> uh, our Instagram is at Sports, Twitter at Sports. We're DMP CD Sports on everything on Facebook as well, dude. That's a big. Ad. I'm gonna sip. I'm gonna take a sip of this, actually, dude. No rush on it, right? <laughs> no. Um, yeah, this is still Austin. This is they hook us. They hook all of our guests up and everything. We're yeah, man. So together. this is their gin right here. Yeah, yeah. They're having, yeah. and I've only had this in a cocktail. All right, Jesus Christ, <laughs> it's good. <laughs> Nice and smooth. I'm just not a liquor drinker, as Fair you can enough. tell by Fair the enough. look on my face. You know what I'm saying? I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Um, Should we tell him, Chad? Yeah. Yeah, let's tell him, man. In a, in a couple episodes, we're going to have Randy Cross, yeah. one of Jesse's teammates. He briefly mentioned Randy earlier in this yeah. interview. So, um, yeah, look forward to that one. He did. And um, what's awesome about that, too, is that he's also a commentator for CBS Sports, a guy that I've watched for many, many years called Games. Uh, when I told my dad that we were going to get this guy, he knew him immediately and was like, oh, yeah, that's going to be a Good interview. So it's going to be interesting to hear about his playing days and then also talk about uh, him as a broadcaster as well. Two totally different careers. He's got a podcast now as well. He was on the field for the catch, by the way. Oh, that wow. going to be fun. Wow, to dude. Talk One to of the most, that. if not the most iconic play in NFL history. Yep. That's going to be Yeah, that's going to be great. Sure. Uh, we want to tell you, uh, take a quick second to tell you about Odd Shark. Odd Shark is your source for the latest odds from leading authorities, expert editorial content, and detailed matchup picks. If you're looking for statistics and trends for an upcoming game, Oddshark has that too, and it is absolutely free. That's right. In-depth expert analysis, stats, numbers, and trends to help you make the sharp pick. So whether you want to check out the NBA playoffs coming up, or you want to look at some hockey odds, or you want to look at those future numbers that Chad and I were talking about earlier today, or anything in between, head on over to Oddshark and start thinking like a shark today. Yeah, we've got uh, the NBA playoffs coming up. Go ahead and place a bet on it. I'm going to put some money down going yeah. through Oddshark. Going to put some money down on the playoffs this year. Um, seven game series are always fun because you can bet on the whole series or you can bet on the individual games yeah and it's going to be interesting this year because it's not going to be home court advantage mm, um, it's going to be a 
uh, big deal. If th- there are teams that allow fans in the stadium, it's only be a couple thousand. It's not going to be huge. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm definitely I'm gonna put some money on a couple teams uh, for the NBA playoffs this year. It's Looking forward fun. to it. So I uh, just want to thank our guest Jesse Sapolu. We want to thank all of you guys for watching and listening out there. Please leave us a review. Check us out on social media. We can be found at, at DMPCD Sports on every major platform. Um, tell your friends about the show, please, man, because we've got some awesome guests coming up uh, that we're really, really excited about. Some guys that we can't confirm just yet, but uh, a really exciting uh, lineup we got coming up, Tony. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thanks, God. Thanks uh, again for listening. Please tell your friends. We'll see you guys next week on the DMP CD Sports Podcast presented by Odd Shark. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home on the web at hotpiemedia.com, the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.